0: What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business. Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast. Your favorite totally independent cool scrappy underdog star trek podcast i'm david david majors i'm also called me djm where i say a lot of really dumb stuff that sometimes bleeds over to our Trek, our podcast account at prom trek pod and i am joined by my fantastic co-host who doesn't ever really say anything nearly as stupid as i do the fantastic miss heather kirby what's up heather
1: what's up i try not to say stupid stuff but you know sometimes it just happens you never know
0: well we've got a lot to talk about so there will be no stupid stuff involved in this episode because there's still so much star trek going on right now and heather and i have some things to say uh this might be one of our controversial episodes I think for both of us, I think both of us are going to have some, some things to say, some opinions, some takes. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it, both we of need,
1: us. We need like a, a, a hot take, like audio thing. You can just slide in there to be like, warning, hot takes are coming. Warning. <laughs> I,
0: I, I might work on that. I might make that happen. I think I can. Uh, We'll make like a yellow (laughs) alert or something. Uh. But let's jump in. For new listeners of the show, we do this in sort of a three-act format. We've got old business where we talk about everything up to... Up from The Cage, up to and including the Kelvin movies. For new business, we talk about what is happening in Star Trek in the here and now. So, yes, there will be discussion of Star Trek Discovery Season 4. So, that is your first spoiler warning before we jump. And later on, we'll do upcoming business, where we'll talk about news and notes from the Star Trek franchise. And we share our opinions on some things. So... Let's start with the old business, Heather. Um, with Discovery Season 4, I've really enjoyed Book and Grey this season. And it really made me start thinking about characters from Star Trek who are non-Starfleet and even times non-Federation uh, because I was also going to say I've really been enjoying President Relic this season, but she's the president of the Federation, so she doesn't count. Uh, so I was going to ask you, and I'd love for our listeners to tell us at Prom Trekpod or send us an email at trekpod at gmail.com. If you send us an email, one of us will answer. And if you tweet at us, one of us will answer. Heather's answer will probably be better than mine. Uh but yeah talk to us let us know. Uh Heather I'll ask you first. Uh I've been thinking about non starfleet star trek characters and I wanted to know uh for old business as far as non starfleet characters who who are some of your favorites?
1: Well, you know when I was thinking about this I thought like well there could be show regulars and then there could be like guest stars because there's a lot of non-Starfleet characters that i really enjoy who are guest stars but weren't really show regulars but i kept my answer to show regular characters and so i came up with two uh the first one would be major colonel kira of the bajoran forces on the deep space nine because she's not Starfleet. Always a great choice. She's always with, a great choice. She's with the Bajoran military. And like, she's like, she's just, she's probably my favorite character on DS9. Uh, she, she's just incredible. There's so much depth to her, or death, depth, depth <laughs> to her, especially her history with uh, the resistance. And I, I, I just love watching her grow throughout that show so much because she working you can see how working with Starfleet has impacted her over the series run and how it really opens her eyes to dealing with new people and new species and new situations that she comes across. So um, I really love Kira. Um, the second one. Uh, which I think Enterprise did a really good job of incorporating their alien characters into uh, the crew because the two aliens on the ship were not Starfleet because Starfleet was strictly human at that point. Um, but Dr. Phlox would be my second.
0: One. Hey, that was one of mine, yeah. Dr. Phlox. I thought he was a wonderful character. Uh, he he really grew on me over time with my multiple rewatches of Enterprise and I found him to be a very endearing character and a brilliant scientist. Uh, he he was more than a doctor, he was a, a medical researcher, a medical lecturer. Uh, he was clearly someone that was highly regarded. Uh, throughout the Alpha Quadrant, as it were, as a leader in medical research. And him being on the NX-01 was a big deal. And he really showed himself to be a a really enjoyable alien character. Um, I did not put Major Kira on my list because I kind of figured you might pick her. So we figured Kira would be covered. But yes, uh, Major Kira always gets a nod here on this podcast. Uh, I chose uh, my other two. So since I'm going to take Dr. Phlox off the list, uh, I chose uh, someone who in many ways was diametrically opposed to Major Kira. And that was Damar, Gull then Legate Damar of Cardassian Union. I think that what started off as a one line bit character grew into a very complex and very layered character that had a pretty interesting story arc of his own that clashed with Kira on several occasions and clashed with other Cardassians and he had a lot of internal struggles. He developed, a sense of self-loathing through what he allowed the Cardass what happened to the Cardassians through the Dominion and it led him to the bottle and for him to come out of all of that to begin to lead the revolution for the Cardassians against the Dominion and to go out as a martyr I think that was a heck of a story arc for him. Um, My second one, or rather my last one, is also going to be from DS9. And that was another character that started off as kind of a nothing character, but eventually grew into something much bigger. And that is General Martok, uh, eventually Chancellor Martok of the Klingon Empire. Uh, In the beginning, he started off as kind of a bit player, uh, a one-off to Gowron. And over time, over the war with the Dominion, he became this almost larger than life character. Uh, he became a close friend of Worf. He became an ally to Captain Sisko, where they had a lot of really good scenes together. And I think that by the end of DS9, he became my favorite Klingon. And I think that. His choice of becoming Chancellor or or Worf giving him the title of Chancellor was a great choice for him. It was a great story arc from him being a a common soldier, making his way up to general, and eventually becoming Chancellor. It's, It's a great story arc. I think that one thing about DS9 is that so many of their characters had so much character growth over the seven seasons and that's part of why so many people hold ds9 in such high regard is that it had so many characters that had so much depth so yeah here we on this podcast kira martok and well pretty much every ds9 character really
1: Yeah, you know, uh, that's one thing that especially DS9 did really well is take a character that started out really small and grew them into something really deep and wonderful uh, and a a character you really got to know and love. And that's one of the connections, I think, that DS9 has with Discovery is that Discovery really does... Did the same thing with a lot of like even their smaller side characters. Like when you look back at like season one on Admiral Cornwall, she was only supposed to be in like one episode. And just like through Her performance in that one episode, they brought her back and then they brought her back into season two and she became a character where everybody cried at the end of season two when she died, you know, like it's um, another connection between DS9 and Discovery that they do really well is just take taking the smallest character moments and building them into something great.
0: Agreed. Uh, everybody out there, let us know at PromTrekHod and, and tell us who your favorite non-Starfleet characters are. Use the hashtag non-Starfleet. We'll just throw that out there. Non-Starfleet. And let us know. We we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. And we want to move into new business. So this is the part where we are going to jump into the spoiler zone. So, this is your official warning, everybody. I'll put the timestamp in the show notes. So, if you want to skip over this part and jump back to upcoming business, you'll know where to go. So, once again, be brave, be bold, be courageous. Let's jump into the spoiler zone. Star Trek Discovery, Season 4, Episode 2 anomaly saru has rejoined discovery as the first officer while book has to deal with the unimaginable grief of losing hui as best as he can also we get a next big step for gray and i think unless you were following along on disco on the prom when i was live tweeting um i've said heather that Gray is not my favorite character
1: in Discovery so far. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: not my favorite. I've never really explained why, but since this is our podcast, I'm going to do it. Um my issue with Gray is Adira tells us how amazing Gray is, and Gray tells us how amazing he is i just have a hard time remembering exactly what gray did that made him so amazing and why he seemed to have in my opinion a certain level of cockiness he seemed a bit overconfident in himself and i'm not entirely sure why i'm not sure what the in my opinion overconfidence was with gray I just never really got that. And for a while, it was a bit off-putting. And going into this season, I didn't really see what was going to happen with Grey. I didn't really know what they were going to do. Until we got to this, where thanks to Dr. Culber's research and the ban on synthetic life forms, now we are going to see that Grey is going to be getting a synthetic body. I actually thought that was really interesting, Heather. Uh, so that that part really had me interested in this episode, especially because it was a character that I said I didn't like very much. Yeah. How about you?
1: Uh, you know, I <laughs> is are is, is there still a ban on synthetic life forms this far in the future? Like no, no, it's been okay. Left. Okay, that's the that's what I thought, but. I, I, I love the reference to Picard when they're building Gray's body, um, that it, it was built using the Soon method. Uh, and I, I think one thing I didn't really realize until uh, these two episodes is what Grey was actually working toward um, before he died and Adira took Tal. In their body um Grey was working towards being a chiril guardian which are the people who uh help perform these ceremonies and help uh the hosts combine with the the symbiote and take care of the symbiotes so it it kind of makes a little bit more sense now uh how their consciousness really survived and then it's taking a guardian to help them uh, find themselves in a new body. And then ultimately it like, I would love to see him like repay the favor down the line, you know, since the guardians helped him and he wants to continue uh, training to be a guardian. I think that's kind of cool.
0: I do think that's cool too. And we'll talk about that with the next episode. Um, I really loved seeing Saru again uh, and rejoining Discovery. Oh, absolutely. I think that made everybody happy. Yeah. uh, Because he is in many ways a great steadying force for the crew of the Discovery. He is someone that has a lot of great instincts and wisdom that he brings to discovery and Kaminar as they've made him uh, a council elder. He's on their, their council and he commands a lot of respect and I'm happy to see him on discovery again. And I think he is a great first officer. He's a great second voice for Burnham and you know the crew of the Discovery trusts him as well.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, they're just... The relationship between Saru and Burnham goes back so deep. And the chemistry between Doug and Sinequa as they're acting on screen is just... It's indescribable. I mean, it really comes across like the two of them have known each other for years. And... Like, it, it shows in their performance. It's really, it's, it's something really special, uh, the chemistry between those two characters. And it's something undeniable. And it's something that the crew of the Discovery really need, especially when they're facing a hard situation.
0: Which they have had a lot of. <laughs> um, I think that I've been seeing quite a bit of talk about people realizing just how much the crew of the Discovery has really gone through, and it's a lot. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that now when we go into episode three of season four. Uh, Choose to live.
1: Wait, let me... Yeah. One thing I want to bring up about episode two before we go into episode sure. three. The thing sure. that really stuck out to me in this episode were the scenes between Stamets and Book. On his ship,
0: yeah, yeah. I,
1: I, I mean, those really just moved me. Uh, Anthony and David acted their asses off in those scenes, and I was incredibly touched, especially watching Stamets, who's not a very like someone who I relate to. Who's not a very social person, but really trying. To connect with someone who's hurting in a way that like he's not comfortable with, but he's he's still trying to do it anyway because he cares. And then to watch watch their relationship evolve throughout those scenes to the point where they finally get to the end where they, they, they have really built the starting of a friendship, which goes on into episode three. Like I, I, that's one of my favorite parts of the episode.
0: Uh, I'm really glad you mentioned David Ajala in in this season, because I cannot say enough about him this season. Uh, Anthony Rapp, uh, as Paul Stamets, I think he was really great in this episode. Uh, I said this uh, when I was live tweeting. He's awkward, but he cares. And I appreciate that. I really do. And Hugh Colbert said to him right before he went on to book ship in the hollow, he said, you're better than you think you are. And hearing that from Dr. Colbert again, I, I, he's another one, Wilson Cruz, Dr. Colbert. I cannot say enough good things about him this season. Uh, I, I agree that Stamets is better than he thinks he is. And, He put the effort in with Book. And as we'll see in the next episode, it's starting to get through. And you can see that Stamets genuinely cares and wants to show some level of empathy for what Book is going through. Because Stamets himself has gone through some terrible tragedies of his own. Yeah, And that's a bonding experience for people. It really can be. Yeah. Um. Do you want to move to episode three now?
1: Okay, yeah, we can move to episode three now.
0: <laughs> okay. I'm so sorry. I did not mean to cut you off like that, Heather. I am so, so sorry. I'm truly sorry. That's all right. All right. So episode three, Choose to Live. A Starfleet officer was murdered by Javini, a member of the Kawab Malat. President Rillick, President i always forget her name
1: tarina which
0: is weird tarina tarina uh and president and president tarina of navarre uh begin a joint investigation and michael dr gabrielle burnham and lieutenant tilly go and investigate meanwhile book and stamets head to navarre with the vulcan science institute to find out what is going on with the dma the anomaly that destroyed quajon i absolutely loved this episode loved 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 it i think that this will be one of those episodes of star Trek: discovery that i'm going to be talking about for a long time this one I'm not going to say it was quite up there with New Eden from season two, but it was it was pretty darn good, in my opinion. It had a little bit of everything, Heather.
1: Yeah, it really did. Um, it it It's one of those episodes where it had a lot going on, but it wasn't. And one of the things I've noticed that I've loved so far about season four is that there there's still multiple things going on at one time. But the pacing has been a lot better this season, so it doesn't feel rushed. It doesn't feel like it's trying to cram a three hours worth of info into one hour of television. Uh, it, it, it's just paced very, very well, and it's building upon itself as it goes along and it, the, the, the pacing is just incredible. But this episode now, <laughs> any episode with the kawat Malat is a good episode in my opinion. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it right out there, but I really love the having uh, Michael's mom, Gabrielle uh, in episodes because I think it, it just helps build her character and it helps build Michael's character and it helps build like so many other characters having her there as just the mother figure. And, and that was a huge part of this episode for me and why I liked it so much.
0: Then let me ask you something about the co-op Malant, because there is something teased in this episode that I found really interesting. Tilly, uh, who seems to be going through, some personal issue she's in a bit of a an existential crisis of where she belongs and i think that it was really interesting that she really seemed interested in talking with the sisters of the kawat malat what did you think of that heather
1: okay so i could tell where you're going from that i don't think tilly is going to join the kawat malat but i think we're building into something with Tilly where, you know, she needs to find her purpose and she needs to, as Gabrielle told her, she needs to find her path and the path that she belongs on. And she doesn't feel right now that like it, everything's been so jumbled and everything's been so moves forward. And I, I think she's feeling like she's not sure if she belongs not, I, I think she's feeling that she's not sure that she belongs on Discovery anymore. Um, I think ultimately this is going to build into something where Tilly really finds a, a career or a cause or something that really fits her. Um, that might not be on Discovery, it might not be in Starfleet. Uh, but it's something that's going to make her happier in the long run. I think we're building towards that throughout the season. And um, it's going to be really interesting to see what's going on with her and and what ultimately she, she settles into in her role on the show.
0: One, I will agree with you. I do not think Tilly will be joining the Co-op Malad because as i've said for a long long time i believe that star trek discovery is as much sylvia tilly's story as it is michael burnham's and i said on a previous episode that i see star trek discovery ending with tilly as captain of the discovery and this episode in particular where this arc for Tilly in this episode was her finding ways to step out of her comfort zone. First of all, I, I don't know how I feel about her not liking Mac and cheese. That, that nearly turned me <laughs> off on Tilly all over again. Cause you know, early on Heather, I, I really didn't like Tilly and I came around and was like, wait, she doesn't like Mac and cheese. What the, what the hell is this? Ah, uh, but The idea of Tilly finding ways to learn and step out of her comfort zone, that was really interesting to me. Because we are seeing her grow and progress and rank up as the years go on. And I feel like that's really interesting. We are really seeing Tilly learn a lot and do a lot of things. Which is what you want a well-rounded Starfleet officer to do. And it just further convinces me that when it's all said and done, Tilly's going to be a captain. And she's probably going to be a pretty damn good one. And I think that this was her becoming a bit more philosophical. Which you oftentimes get from Starfleet captains where they have learned and grown and had experiences that were really profound you could tell that the Kawat Malat and being around them and learning what they're about that really stuck with her and the experience on the station from episode one really affected her and talking with Dr. Culber and the theme of this season is that the crew of the Discovery have gone through a lot, and I think we are seeing Tilly really grow into her own, and I really like that for her right now. I really like that for her.
1: Okay. I'm gonna put out a very bold prediction right here.
0: I, I love it.
1: I like, I like. I think ultimately by the end of the season is going to choose to leave the Discovery and work with President Rillick. That's like my that. bold prediction. I mean, I think she needs, she's at the point she needs a little bit of stability and in a position where she can still grow and working with Rillick as like her aide or her Starfleet liaison yada 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 i think would be a good fit for tilly right now so i i think she she needs a little bit more stability and that's something she's gonna realize but doesn't mean she can't come to the back to the to discovery just like saru did you know at some point but i think by the end of the season she is going to be working with relic as her aid that's my bold prediction
0: i'm I'm definitely with you on Tilly leaving Discovery. I was definitely 100% with you on that one. I do believe she's leaving Discovery as well. Though, yes, I will admit, I was leaning more towards the Ka'at Malat. That's where I was leaning. I think that either way, she'll definitely be coming back. That's what I think. I I do lean more towards the Ka'at Malat because it felt like, there was something there that really resonated with Tilly with the coop a lot. And maybe every once in a while you'll see a Star Trek character go on something of a spiritual journey. Um you saw Captain Cisco in DS9 uh, figure out where he stood as the emissary to the Bajoran prophets. Uh, Tuvok was an incredibly spiritual character. Maybe this is something for Tilly to explore—more uh, of a spirituality side, or maybe a more philosophical side of herself. So, while we're both agreeing that I think it's a pretty good chance that Tilly is leaving the Discovery, where she goes is going to be interesting, Heather. I think that's really going to be interesting. And I'm glad you brought up President Rillick because, once again, the way that she played this out in the first act of this episode, where the Kawat Malat wanted to go after Javenny on their own, but also the Federation wanted involved and Navarre wanted involved, and President Rillick... Really played it all well and turned it into a joint operation. One, I thought that was really good, and two, the way that they allowed, the way that Rillick allowed Navar to take Gevenny, uh to to extradite her, I thought that was a really good play on her part. Um, I, I know that politicians and politics are, are not the favorite thing of a lot of Trekkies. But I'm really loving the way that President Rillick is really playing chess throughout this whole season. She's, she's a really good, she's a very savvy politician. She's, she's very good at her job. And I like the way that Admiral Vance made that music analogy. I thought that was really, really good. Um, I said when I was live tweeting that I got a little bit of a West Wing vibe from her with just how she's managing all of these different things and I, i'm really liking president Rillick so far i really like her
1: i do too i i i, I mean she's definitely i think okay i <laughs> i think star trek fans are like ingrained to not trust the higher up officials <laughs> In Starfleet or the Federation, like just just because there's been so many instances throughout all the shows where the higher up officials in Starfleet are actually the bad guys, and now in Discovery we're getting admirals and presidents who are actually decent people, and everyone wants to look to find. Some reason, or or or, or like, it is apprehensive to wonder when they're going to get, like, stab the characters in the back. It's it, it's not going to happen, okay? It's not going to happen. Like, I I, I think they're one of the things, especially that Star Trek does so well, is reflect like what needs to be seen in the world today. And they're really reflecting of, you know, there there are politicians that you can trust, you know. And ultimately, even though it doesn't seem like it's something that you agree with, it's ultimately the right thing. And I think Rillick is a character like that, where you got to learn to trust her. You got to learn to trust her, I, ultimately.
0: I am really learning to trust her, because I think she has a great perspective on the bigger picture. And she has said as much. She said that her primary goal is to reinvigorate the Federation, uh, doing things like welcoming Navarre back into the Federation. That, that's something you do when you're the president, uh, making the order to give out dilithium for free. That, that's something a president makes a decision on. That's a big call. And you see that she's doing these things for the bigger picture of the larger good of the Federation. And for a show that is always about optimism and idealism, I think showing a political figure who is... One, very politically savvy, but also, two, still very idealistic and hopeful, is really, really good. Um, she's not naive. She's not a fool. And I- I'm really, really liking what they're doing with her. And they're not necessarily showing her conflicting with Burnham as much as they were. And I like that, too. Uh, it's, it's a chance for Michael Burnham to grow and learn as well. And I really like that.
1: Well, you know, I think they're still showing her conflicting with Burnham because Burnham did not like the the fact that she uh, ultimately gave in the bar at the end of that episode. I mean, that was very clear. So I, I think they're building up to something where the two of them are going to have to show down and Burnham's going to realize that, you know, she, she needs to stop fighting the authority here and that she is ultimately doing it for the for good reasons um
0: and and thank goodness for admiral vance then
1: yeah (laughs) because he
0: he's he is a fantastic in between between the two of them because he is a starfleet admiral which involves a lot of politics but he's also a starfleet admiral which means he's an officer so he he is a great mediator between the two. Uh, Admiral Vance, just so many great characters on this show. We haven't even talked about Book and Stamets on Navarre yet, because that was incredible. That was just incredible. I loved the Vulcan Science Institute, or the, the Navarre Science Institute, uh, and their deep scientific meditation. And <laughs> I... I loved uh, for the visuals of the mind meld. I thought that was great. And Heather, I, I don't know if you noticed this and, and if our listeners noticed this, but when I was watching this episode and I live tweeted, there was a moment when Tarina mentioned that the suggestion of a mind melt with book. Yeah. And I noticed the musical cue when she said mind melt. And it was like, oh, they they did that in there. They put that in there for Trekkies. Because a mind meld means business is about to pick up. And I loved the, the visuals and the graphics for the mind meld. I thought that was really, really cool.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's one of the things Russo does so well with the score on Discovery. Is just insert these little cues that remind you of all the references popping up in the episode. Like he, he does that so well in his score. Um, he, he did it with Archer's theme when they announced the, the Jonathan Archer space dock. you know, it, it, it's oh, all so good. Yeah. He's just fantastic at that. Um, yeah. I loved, I, I, I loved book and Stamets on the bar because like I said, especially going from episode two into episode three, you see really a, a, a growing friendship between the two of them, which I think is really cool because we haven't really seen Stamets have a friendship per se. Um, so I, I, I enjoy watching, uh, their, their, their friendship and their relationship grow. Um, and classic Stamets, when the Vulcans go into the deep meditative state and he's like, oh, it's not time to be sleeping. Why are we taking a nap? Oh, oh they're so meditating. Guys, Vul-
0: <laughs> Vulcans meditate. That's what they do.
1: Oh. They're
0: in very deep thought.
1: <laughs> That's very much a classic Stamets line. Um, but yeah, and once again, he does show his concern for the, the trauma that Book went through when it, like, like he tells him he wants to go to Navarre with him and Stamets says, you know, I have to give a very clinical description of what happened and it's going to be hard for you to listen to. You know, like that that's Stamets' way of like really showing concern for him. So I, I loved watching the two of them together. And I think the mind meld really helped book, even though it ultimately didn't give them the evidence that they needed to find out what this thing actually is. It, it, it helped book heal, uh, which was good in a way. And, and I, I mean, there's been so many instances of mind melds not necessarily being good. So I think to show the positiveness that a mind meld can do for someone was really good in this instance
0: i absolutely loved david ajala's performance in this episode because he showed such a wide range of emotions uh going through the mind meld uh in the beginning of the episode he was still really really hurting from the loss of quajan and having these visions of his nephew leto and Talking to the president, saying, "If I could have a little bit of help with controlling my emotions," and that line of him saying, "A drowning man only needs one breath." That was that was a really strong line. I, I absolutely loved it. And for him to go through the mind meld and to be able to see his nephew one last time to have that one little bit of closure and one that one little bit of peace that was incredibly powerful and I think David Ajalo really nailed that and at the end of the episode where he and Michael were in their quarters together where you could tell that he was still not a 100% okay but he was starting to heal from it all hmm. and starting to be able to allow himself to move on I thought that David Ajala really put on an amazing performance in this episode. He was, in my opinion, just spectacular.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, he's been really spectacular so far this season in total, I think. so.
0: Yeah. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the character that I said I did not like very much. That is not to take anything away from Ian Alexander, who I think in this episode where in the beginning he was still with Adira, but then the ceremony began, he was able to show being excited, being nervous about what might happen if he was lost in limbo. And then the moment where he regained consciousness and discovered his body and hugged Dr. Culber and just everything. I, I really think Ian Alexander and Grey were just fantastic this entire episode. And yeah, I'm going to say that this episode turned me around on Grey. It turned me around. Like, I'm I'm going to give the kid a chance now. I'm going to give him a chance.
1: All right, Lucille. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I I I I really enjoy enjoyed like watching Gray's journey throughout this episode and I I I mean I have so much love for Stamets and Colbert. Uh I appreciate Adira and Gray. Um I wouldn't say they're my favorite characters, but I I really appreciate both of them and the stories that they are telling with these queer characters are are just, they're so important. And they're they're doing it in a way where it fits the character and it fits what's needed in the story. So it's not done in like an in-your-face way, but it's really important for... um, especially other members of the LGBTQ community when they're watching it. So it's a really unique balance that they have there um, that they've created. And they're they're just, they're really moving to watch, to watch this little family. Um, It it is
0: incredibly moving. Um, As A cisgendered, heterosexual man. I am deeply moved by Gray's story in this season. And the allegories are not lost on me. Of course, I cannot relate, but I can only imagine how it might feel for someone that is trans. I I can only imagine what watching this might feel for them. Uh, because it is so incredibly profound and the the obvious allegories of what is happening with Grey's story. Uh, I think it's another great example of Star Trek always reflecting the issues of the day. And that is what Star Trek has always done. It reflects our current world. And LBGTQ issues are a part of our world now they're much more out in the open and much more public and they deserve to have their stories told just like they anyone else would and I think both Blue Del Barrio and Ian Alexander are doing an exceptional job especially because both of them are so young they're both i don't think either one of them is old enough to legally drink their babies <laughs> and
1: uh, the, the, they the, the, they're close but yeah no I, i'm not sure either of them are old enough to legally drink
0: and yeah. they're both doing a great great job and I, I really think ian alexander was really really good in episode three choose to live i really really
1: do well and i i think this is an important point to realize that the these stories really hit home because they're not only like telling lgbtq stories but they're doing it with actors that are lgbtq like if the actors playing these characters didn't relate to the story it would come across differently um and I, I think it's really noticeable and why we talk about how representation matters, because like the, the story that gray, both gray and Adira have gone through, have really been uh, blue and Ian's own personal stories that they've gone through themselves. So there's a deep personal connection to what these characters are go through, are going through because they've experienced it themselves, and for uh, it's, it's for for someone who hasn't experienced it, it would come across being played differently on screen if they were trying to portray it on screen. Then these two wonderful people are doing. So I think that that's why they're really knocking it out of the park because it's very personal for both of them. You know, it, it it's, it's something that they relate to on a personal level and they're in their performance is really showing the world what they've went through.
0: And it's a story that needs to be told. It really is. And just to wrap up because I I think that this episode Choose to Live really was just phenomenal. We got some Kawat Malat sword fighting too.
1: <laughs> and, Tilly. And, and Tilly got a sword. With a sword. Tilly got a sword.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, hi- I highly recommend this episode. Heather, you Choose to Live episode 3?
1: I uh, yeah definitely
0: this this episode of star trek discovery for me was about as close to a 10 as i'm going to give it, it's it might be right under new eden for me as far as star trek discovery goes and that will be the end of the spoiler zone so let me make sure i get a note of that for the show notes it will be there for the listeners and we're going to jump into Upcoming business. Heather, let's have some fun. Uh, everyone knows that the Netflix deal uh, internationally with Star Trek Discovery fell through right before the season began. So for a brief period, Star Trek Discovery season four was left without an international airing partner. They turned it around fairly quickly. And Paramount Plus got some deals done in various international markets where a subscription to Paramount Plus was marked down by fifty percent, starting on November twenty-six, which would have been the second week of season four. Also, in various places across Europe and Australia and, and Asia, Pluto TV, uh, a streaming platform, uh, got Disco on the same day. So, starting from Episode 2, you were able to get everything caught up with Star Trek Discovery. So, for the most part, it has worked out. Um, Paramount Plus will be available more internationally starting next year. But at least for now, they were able to work something out with international viewers for Star Trek Discovery. So, that that's a positive. That's a good, that's a win all around.
1: Okay, so it's not a perfect deal because the Pluto TV's reach is not as far as Netflix's, okay? So there are multiple countries, even just across in Europe, who don't have access to Star Trek Discovery Season 4. Um, it, it, it's obviously not ideal But it does allow for a larger international audience to watch it. I also want to point out Pluto TV is free, people. (laughs) It is a free streaming app. You do not have to pay for it. Okay? So over here in the U.S., we want to watch Star Trek Discovery. We have to pay at least $4.99 a month for Paramount+. Plus. Pluto TV, you don't have to pay for it right now. Like, they work their asses off to give you a deal because they know they screwed up. Like, the fact they got this deal done in the span of a week says a lot because they know they screwed up and they wanted to make it better, okay? So putting it on Pluto TV outside of the U S is a huge deal offering peace offering to make it better. <laughs> the thing that gets me is that there, there have been people who were like, Oh, well it, 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 it basically airs on live TV at nine o'clock on a Friday night. And if I can't watch it, then what am I going to do? I can't watch it. It's not on on demand. Like Well, I I, I don't know what to tell you, okay? Like, I I just feel like there's – it it was a crappy situation. And Paramount worked really hard to try to make the situation better. And, like, even the people who have access to it now outside of the U.S. still have issues with how they can get it. And that that just seems like – being slightly ungrateful, in my opinion. Like, they really did work hard. I, I, I don't pretend to know all the details that go into international licensing laws and how things can stream outside the country. I don't know. I'm not a, a, a media lawyer. I don't know any of that. But I do know it's complicated, okay? It's not as simple as most people think, where we can just put it on something for you. It is complicated, And the fact that they worked their asses off to get a deal done in a week so more people outside of North America could see Star Trek Discovery Season 2 is a huge effort. And there's still a lot of people that were unhappy with that. And, you know, you you should be happy for what you got because you could have had nothing. You could have had nothing. You could have just had to wait until 2022. Like... They, they, they work their butts off to do it for you. Like, just be thankful that you do have some sort of deal. Because, like I said, there's some people in Europe who still can't watch it. Like, the UK gets it. Ireland doesn't get Pluto TV. So Ireland can't watch it. And it's just right across the channel from the UK. Like, it, it, if you have access to it outside of the US... You can watch it for free. <laughs> you don't even have to pay for it. Like, just be thankful that they are trying and they tried to rectify this for you. Like, that, that that's all I can say. Be thankful.
0: I think that the thing that really got people upset was that the news about the Netflix deal fell through two days before the premiere i think that upset a lot of people but it really didn't upset me at all because it made me think if they were announcing this this close to the premiere it makes me feel like cbs and netflix were negotiating till the 11th hour they were really really trying to get something done and they went to the very last second, and it just didn't work out. That's the kind of thing where I'm like, okay, you tried. You tried. You tried your best. It didn't work out. And then the fact that they were able to turn it around so quickly and get it out to people within a week, I felt like it was really time to call off the dogs on that one. It just felt like, more of an unfortunate circumstance and i think that this was probably more on netflix than anything and
1: oh i completely agree it, with that like netflix yeah netflix fucked y'all okay <laughs> netflix fucked you <laughs> It's not cbs at this point i'm pretty sure it's netflix's fault
0: i i agree I agree, because Netflix isn't doing a lot of great stuff lately, if we're being honest. Uh, But, yeah, now various parts of the world outside of the United States and Canada can see Star Trek Discovery. And that's a good thing, because just between you and me, Heather, Star Trek Discovery Season 4 has been pretty great. Like, I... Liked season two a lot. I liked season three, not as much as season two, but I liked it. But so far, I feel like season four is, has topped them both. I really feel like season four has been just outstanding.
1: I agree. I I, I mean, season four has just been incredible every single episode. Um, so I I'm ultimately despite my large rant earlier, I'm very glad that more people outside of North America can see Star Trek Discovery season four because it's really been a work of art so far. And I'm very thankful for that.
0: Agreed. Now it's my turn, Heather. So we're coming closer to 2022. And on Star Trek Day they made sure to introduce the cast of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. But since then, it's been dead quiet. Now, here on this podcast, we're not as over the moon about Strange New Worlds as other Star Trek fans. But I can't help but think that it is very strange that... They have been extremely quiet about a premiere date, stories, anything about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Especially given that this was a series that the fans wanted, and I would think that they would want to be letting out a little bit more information for the fans to get them excited about it and find out a little bit more of what's going on with strange new worlds.
1: But it's been
0: (laughs) very, very quiet. And I just think that's weird.
1: I don't think it's weird. (laughs) I've told you before and I'll say it again. I don't think they're going to tell you crap about Strange New Worlds until it premieres. (laughs) And, okay, first off, there's a ton of other Star Trek going on. We don't need to talk about Strange New Worlds because we can talk about Discovery. We can talk about Prodigy. We can talk about Picard, which is coming right after the second half of uh, the, the first part of Prodigy, you know. We don't have to talk about Strange New Worlds right now. There's a lot of other shit going on. I like At earliest, I don't think you're going to hear anything about Strange New Worlds until season four of Discovery is over. Okay? But mm. secondly, I think they're doing it on purpose. I think they are purposely not showing or telling you a single thing about Strange New Worlds because they know how badly people want it. They don't have to hype the show up because people are already that hyped for it, okay? So why spend the money on promoting a show when you don't need to? (laughs) You can spend it on something else. I really, truly think that you are going to be kept in the dark for strange new worlds until it premieres. You might get one trailer one, and it's not going to show you a whole lot. I really think everyone's going to get kept in the dark until this premieres. I really do. And I'm not surprised about that at all.
0: I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you, Heather. I disagree with the tactic. I was expecting a full court press for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I was expecting to see the cast all over CBS television. Or maybe we're just not there yet. Maybe it's early. Maybe it's just early. Maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit. I mean, if if we
1: think about this, because it's not going to run concurrently, okay? But we already know that we're not gonna have shows running concurrently. So we already have a premiere date for Picard, which is February. The earliest Strange New Worlds is gonna premiere is the end of March, beginning of Mm, April. Right. So we are still way too early to have that press. you're
0: You're right. That's a that's a that's a really good point. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. So, okay. Yeah, you know what? I guess we are still a little bit far away from it. I, I just, I guess I was just surprised at how quiet it's been. But you know what? You're right. You are absolutely right. Okay. I will I will reverse impulse on that. I will reverse impulse. But when we get to February, Heather, I, I think we should probably start seeing the cast of Strange New Worlds a little more. But I'm going to pull back now. I'm going to pull back now. Because you're you you're right. It's still, it's still very early. Well, so, okay. So still-
1: you know what happens in February, the beginning of February, is the Super Bowl. I'm Boom. thinking a Strange New Worlds promo on the Super Bowl. If you really want is. something big to hit a wide audience, there you go.
0: And... Good call by you. Good call by you. You heard it here first, everybody, on the Promenade Merchants podcast. See, I told you, Heather's the one that would say something really brilliant while I say a bunch (laughs) of dumb stuff. That's what you tune in for. So keep your eye on the Super Bowl, everybody. And and, and when that happens, you can say that you heard it here from Heather Kirby, who you can follow (laughs) at NerdyGal33 on Twitter. You heard it here first, right here on the Promenade Merchants Podcast. This has been a really good episode. Thank you for doing this with me, Heather. And and again, br- brilliant, brilliant stuff. That that's a really good call on the Super Bowl. Really good call. Um, tell everybody where they can find you. What you got going on?
1: All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at NerdyGal33. Um. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot going on. I'm trying to be a lazy bum throughout the holiday season. She
0: she's on the injured list everybody. <laughs> yeah. She's she's working through an injury. Yeah. Um I'm tr- I'm trying to convince her to talk to the track pod co- coaching staff and maybe get some time off, but she's she's working through the injury. So you you got to respect it. You got to respect it. She's she's double tough, folks. She's tougher than a two-dollar steak. As Jim Ross would say. And uh, everyone send Heather your well wishes and, and all that good stuff. Uh, once again, I'm David. Follow the podcast at Prom Trek Pod. Listen to The Promenade Merchants wherever you get your podcasts. It's available everywhere. Thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, live long and source.